This is your boy, DC, the Brain Supreme Tag Team. And you're listening to the Shadows Podcast. Whoop! There it is. Sprinkle! Welcome to another episode of the Shadows Podcast. This is your host, Trip Bodenheimer, with a couple of quick announcements for all of you. Before I do so, I would like to say thank you to all of our Shadows listeners from the bottom of my heart. None of this would be possible without the support of our listeners now in over 60 countries. Now, first, as we approach our two-year anniversary and over 100 episodes under the Shadows umbrella, we're about to shake things up. That's right. Starting Monday, August 1st, Rise from the Shadows Season 2 Behind the Mask will debut and will run every Monday until our season finale on Monday, October 24th. Rise from the Shadows will focus on the mini mask that we wear. Our goal this season is for our listeners to understand we wear these masks trying to please others, but in the process, we begin to lose ourselves. We will be transparent, vulnerable, and unshielded as we unmask and face topics dealing with our social, emotional, physical, and spiritual pillars. And after 30 minutes, each and every Monday, all 13 episodes will leave our listeners feeling inspired. Then the Shadows Podcast returns on Halloween night, Monday, October 31st for a brand new relaunch of the Shadows Podcast. That's right. We're going to throw away our mask on Halloween night, step back into the darkness, and tackle our internal boogeyman head on. We have a new format, new guest, and each episode will be shown in its entirety on the Shadows Podcast YouTube channel. So make sure you're following the Instagram page at the underscore Shadows Podcast. We're also now on Twitter at the Shadows Pod and the Shadows Podcast Facebook page. Also check out all of our episodes on any of the major podcast platforms and at www.theshadowspodcast.com. Now, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy this episode of the Shadows Podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Shadows Podcast. I am your host, Trip Bodenheimer, and today I'm joined by Jeff Johnston. He is the host of the Living Undeterred Project, founder of the Choices Network. Uh, really happy to have you on here. Made a connection a while back uh, with Nathan Coy, who I just absolutely think the world of. Uh, but sir, welcome to the Shadows Podcast. Trip, I'm really excited. Uh, this whole journey you know, I got thrust into this about five years ago, uh, not by choice, as you'll find out. But I've just met some unbelievable. You mentioned Nathan. Um, you know, him and I now have been connected on social media and, and we're becoming fast acquaintances. And, you know, it's just it's it's incredible what adversity and trauma and, you know, being dealt bad cards in life can actually be, you know, an, a gateway to something just awe inspiring and quite humbling, to be honest with you. It doesn't have to bad things don't, don't have to be a, a negative thing for you in, in regards to who you are defined to be the rest of your life. You know, I agree a hundred percent. I've, I've told people, I'm like, I, I hate to say it like this, but the experiences that happened, the losses that I've had, I would not be here today. Um, and wouldn't have the family that I have and the friends around me and everybody, if, if those did not occur, but what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead before we get into your story, we're going to jump into the uh, five, Get five rounds 
presented by Giant Worldwide, partner of the show. Head over to giant.tv forward slash shadows. Check out the leadership information they have over there. First question for you. What or who has made the biggest impression on you in the last year? Oh, man. The biggest impression to me in the last year. Uh, can I expand that just a couple a couple more years out? Absolutely. I, I, I would say um, my son and my wife, who both perished, um, have been the greatest influence in my life at this point. Uh, hmm. You know, obviously, my, my dad has been a great influence on my mom, but I have to say losing my son and my wife has been really what keeps me alive ironically yeah is, is that their photo behind you yeah that's my my son seth who died at 23 and then my wife prudence who died at 46 in june okay yeah and, and we'll definitely yep. we're gonna celebrate them here on this episode here today what do you think people undervalue today hmm i think they undervalue uh mental wellness um in other words and also physical wellness as well. I mean, obviously what we eat is just appalling, uh, but it goes hand in hand. You know, you can't just be really strong mentally and then not do much with taking care of your body and vice versa. So, you know, I say to get to ultimate wellness, we need to work on our mind and our body. And I think, I think if you look at just the statistics of, of uh, most health problems people have, I think 85% of it is literally self-induced. So, you know, I think we're aware that what we're doing isn't working, but for some reason we're not doing it well. Yeah. Yeah, I can agree with that. Uh, something you're afraid to try? Picking up a spider. Really? I hate spiders, man. I'd, I'd almost rather, I, they're the most, yes. If there's one, if I could be king for a day and I could remove one thing on the planet, it would be spiders. I absolutely detest spiders. I can handle snakes and I've swam with sharks. My son and I are scuba divers. I've, I've dove at night with sharks. But you, I see a little spider. I run across the room like a, a, I'm just yelling and screaming like a little kid. I what hate what do you think it is about a spider? I they're just creepier than heck, man. They eat legs <laughs> and they're fast and and I just I I must have had a horrible experience when I was younger or something. But I've I literally there. I don't care what kind of spider it is. I don't care if it's dead. I just absolutely hate spiders. See, I I could a spider could walk across my desk right now. I know I'd be like oh. No way. And, yeah. And I'm so okay with it. But the part that, you know, my wife laughs about is I'm not afraid of snakes. I'm not afraid of spiders, but if a lizard is on the porch, see that doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. That's, that's hilarious. I don't know why, but to me, I'm like, it must've been a traumatic experience or something. I think they're little dinosaurs or something, but yeah, yeah <laughs> I've never heard that, but I like it. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm trying to talk myself into uh, <laughs> dinner for three. Three historical figures, uh, never met these people before. Who would you dine with? Would they be deceased or alive? Deceased. Okay, deceased. I would say uh, Abraham Lincoln, for sure. Okay. Uh, I would say uh, Marcus Aurelius, who was a Stoic uh, philosopher. I've been reading the book on Marcus Aurelius. Yeah, and I'd say Victor Frankl. Yep. The author okay. of Man's Search for Meaning. Nice. Okay, that's a good group. That's really yeah. good. It'd be a, it'd be a heck. I'd like to go golfing with those three. That'd be, that'd be a great time. Yeah. Be a fun yeah. foursome. Yeah. That book. Uh, what is it? Uh, live like a Roman emperor. Yeah. Like Roman and then uh, he did meditations too. Yeah. Very, uh, very good. Yeah. Um, all right. Final, final question. Speaking of book recommendation or recommendations for our listeners. 
Well, the same one I gave Nathan, uh, Man's Search for Meaning uh, with um, Viktor Frankl is arguably the best book I've ever read. And just his journey through being in the concentration camps and kind of his attitude adjustment and how he, he when he got out, you know, how he really didn't hold, I'm not going to say he forgave the, 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 the guards and everything, but by focusing on what he can control, mm-hmm. you know, which goes back to stoicism, uh, he was able to, you know, circumvent what should have been, you know, a, a horrific experience. And it was, but he didn't use it to define him negatively. He got out and did some tremendous things when he got out. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, you have survived our five rounds presented by Giant mm-hmm. Worldwide. One more time, head over to giant.tv forward slash shadows. Check out all their repository of videos and information they have over there. But now let's get into why people have tuned in. They're here today for your episode. But in case somebody's tuning in and they haven't heard from you mm-hmm. or, or of you, give us a little 60 second elevator pitch uh, as to who you are. I help people make better choices in difficult situations. Um, And to use the fact that pain is unavoidable, but suffering is a choice. So whatever happens to you in your life, you can't change the pain, but you certainly can change how you suffer. So that would be my elevator pitch. And that would pique their interest. And then they'd ask me more follow-up questions after that. Well, let's get to it. Let's get to those follow-up questions. So Take us back to your childhood, like growing up. Where did you grow up? What were your early aspirations as a child? Yeah, I grew up in um, in in um, Solon, Iowa. It's a small town about, I don't know, 20 miles north of Iowa City, which Iowa City is about four hours uh, west of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Give you an idea where it is. Um, and just grew up in a typical leave it to beaver household. You know, three brothers, you know, very, all of us were competitive. Uh, I was the second to the youngest. My dad was a two-sport All-American, got drafted by the Cubs as a, as a pitcher and played, was an All-American basketball as well at Coe College, and decided to go into medicine, uh, kind of put the sports on the, on the back burner, wanted to be a doctor, and ended up having a, a great career as a physician. But more importantly, his claim to fame is he was the team doctor for the Iowa basketball team. So when mm-hmm. Lute Olson came in in the, se- in the 60s, yeah. I think, or 70s, Lute hired my dad to work home games. And then from there, it was, uh, you know, George Raveling, Tom Davis, Steve Alford, uh, and uh, it was just a tremendous run. And so I just grew up around sports. I grew up with my dad being very competitive and, um, you know, lectures after basketball games, you know, would turn into sometimes, you know, yelling and but all stuff that was we all do as parents with our kids, trying trying to make them see that they can be better than what they believe they are you know, which is what kind of, I think one of the goals as a, as a parent is to push your kids further than they can push themselves. But there's a fine line, you know, my dad never crossed it, but I, so I grew up in that world where I just, you know, resilient being tough, you know, I wasn't a great athlete. I did play two sports in college, but that was in junior college. And I, I, re- I was recruited for basketball, ended up playing golf as well. And then, um, you know, got early into the investment career at 23, right out of college, uh, started my own investment company, and in today at 56, I've never had an employer. I've been my own boss since age 23. So I hire right now, we have nine advisors in our firm and seven full-time staff, and we manage around $700 million. But where I'm going with this is, maybe this is answering some of your next questions, but I got to age 50, you know, trip. And I was like, wow, you know, I made it. Yeah. You know, I, I got there, you know, dude, you're married, beautiful, stunning wife, awesome great mother, three boys, American dream, 
Oh, dude. I, I mean, I had it. I, I, I had it. I was going out and eating dinners and drinking expensive wines and we traveled to Europe and, you know, I just, you kind of get there like, wow, you know, you, you did it. I'm, I'm 50 years old, you know, and then life like it always does, or usually does send you a little reminder how cruel and unfair it can be. And then at that point you decide how you want to take the rest of your life. Yeah. When we previously talked, uh, you know, we both opened up about some of these traumatic experiences that we've had. And unfortunately, like you were saying, it led up to correct me if I'm wrong, October 4th, 2016. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, Yep. If if you don't mind sharing with our audience uh, and being vulnerable and transparent with them, I said like what happened and, and like kind of the, the fallout of that. That day was like any other man. I got up and my, my middle son was playing golf or districts for his high school. And I was getting him ready to go to drop him off at the bus barn where the kids all met. It was like six 15 in the morning, had my coffee. My wife's at home. She's getting all made up to go to the game. We were going to go to the, the, the um, golf tournament and watch it. And it was a nice October day in Iowa. You know, yeah. my youngest son, Roman's on the bus. He's getting ready to go to seventh grade and you know, life's good. Ian's 15 and our youngest son, Seth was 23, our oldest son. Um, and, you know, as I was taking my son's clubs out of the trunk on that beautiful morning, my phone rings and it's that call that you, as a parent, you just, you just hope you never get. And I knew when I saw the number that it was probably not going to be a great call. Cause we'd have, we'd have previous run-ins and I'll talk a little bit about our history, but, yeah. and I picked up the phone and at that point, you know, my life just changed. And at that top of the mountain, I talked about, uh, immediately I went down to the bottom. I call it the abyss. It was a living hell. And, you know, we became, we became a, a, a member of a club we didn't ask to join and one we couldn't leave. And that's of a deceased child. And they found our oldest son, Seth, in a real seedy hotel room, very stereotypical of addiction and substance abuse, dead from a heroin. Uh, at the time, we called it overdose, but now we call it poisoning uh, fentanyl. So heroin didn't kill him. It was the fentanyl in it. And we can talk a whole five hours on that. Um, but anyway, the irony of a lot of this is he died about an hour from where Ian was golfing that day for district. So when the moment I got the call, I just froze and I got in my car and thought, how am I going to tell my wife? Our son is dead. And I didn't even tell Ian. I loved him. I didn't wish him luck in his big day. And he had to think when he went to the golf course, where's mom and dad, you know, they never miss a meet. And I didn't even tell him. I just got, I forgot to even say, I loved him. And I got in the car and I, Went home, told my wife what happened. Obviously, that was just the worst moment. We fell to the ground and just so horrendous. And and then um, and then I had to start thinking, how am I going to tell the boys? Yeah. How am I going to tell the boys that their older brother's dead? You know. And um, I called my dad, my doctor dad, and I said, "Hey, dad," because my dad's very pragmatic. You know, he's delivered babies and he's held the hand of people who have died, so he's been on both sides of the fence. And I said, "Dad, what do I what do I tell the boys?" And he said, "Jeff, here's what you tell them." You tell them the truth and then you shut your mouth because you like to talk. And that's what I did. And I can tell you exactly how that went down. It actually became a chapter in my book and it became a a kind of the backbone of my living undeterred project. Uh, That moment when I told the boys became a very important thing. I think any of your, your people watching this can learn from kind of how I stumbled into presenting this to the boys. Um, and I say stumbled because I did, certainly wasn't prepared to actually say what I ended up saying, which ended up being just very impactful and made a big difference in how it was presented to them. You told me what you had, uh, you said to him that, that 
I would say like line or two that you said mm-hmm. that really kind of uh, stuck out. What was that for our listeners? Well, I, I sat him on the couch and I did what my dad said. I said, you know, boys, I got some really bad news for you. And I'm saying it obviously a lot more controlled today, but I've got, you know, five years, almost six years of now telling this story every day. And I said, uh, your older, your older brother's dead. And didn't say anything. And, um, and Ian looks up and they both looked up at me just, you know, dad, are you kidding? Is this a joke? Is this a prank? You know, where's the hidden camera type thing, that look of just shock. And then I could see their eyes swell up, you know, and, um, you know, they're just 13 and 15 and just something in me trip just clicked. And I don't, I had, I don't know where this came from and I, I'm not going to take claim that I own where this comes from. I don't know, right. but I figured inside of me now is this moment that as a dad, you know, this is the moment that you train for. Mm-hmm. This is the moment. This is the, this is your, this is it. You know, you want to be a dad, dude. This is it. It's not all, you know, cupcakes and roses, you know? And so I thought, how, how can I screw this up? How can I mess up this opportunity that death's given me now? This, this, this moment that I'll never get again, another opportunity for the next words out of my mouth to set the tone for the rest of our lives. My wife's over on my right, two boys are on the couch. I just stood up, cleared my throat. And I just said, boys, we have one of two roads to go down. We have one road of anger, despair, and hatred. And we'll become alcoholics and addicts ourselves, or we have a road of inspiration and motivation. And this can be the single greatest moment in our lives to change our lives and those around us. I ask you to join me. I'm on the second road. And I said it like that. And I almost, I mean, I surprised myself because it came out so just authentic and fluid. Yeah. And um, the point of the whole thing trip is I wanted to make sure whatever I said to them, two things. I wasn't going to tell them what to do. I was going to show them what to do. So those are the two things. I wasn't going to tell them what to do. I was going to show them what to do. And so from that moment, my two boys have just been absolutely heroic and they've done some things that would make your jaw drop at their young ages. Um, my son just last week got uh, won the uh, Courage Award given to the whole student athletes at South Dakota Division One Sports. He's a golfer there. For all sports programs, men and girl, boys and girls, he won the Courage Award for his continuing to raise awareness and money and uh, just some unbelievable things. But congrats, um, you know. And to be honest, though, <laughs> my wife and I didn't do so well. Uh, about fourteen months into Seth's death, we both drank uh, more than we've ever drank, and I think we both were trying to drink ourselves to death. I quit working, stayed home, drank, just felt sorry for myself. Um, you know, just um, trying to not let the boys see me crumble. And on December 24, 2017, I just woke up from a night of drinking with my wife and her brother. And I just said, enough is enough. I quit. I'm done. I never drank since December 24, 2017. And as, as an alcoholic, I can honestly tell you, it's the easiest thing I've ever done in my life. Well, congratulations. Stop drinking. That's, yeah. That's a huge accomplishment. Yeah. Congratulations for that. And, and I don't battle. I don't play the narratives. I don't call myself sober. I just choose it, you know, 250 on uh, May 4th, 2022, not to drink. I don't, I don't, I don't keep score. I can't tell you how many days I haven't drank. Again, I don't call myself sober because that implies I'm in a fight. I'm not in a fight. I've, I've heard won. that from a lot of people yeah. that have said that on here. Yeah. Yeah. I've won. So 
I don't worry about it. Um, and again, I'm not, you know, that's not what they tell they, the experts say that you need to go through these certain things. I'm like, ah, oh, screw that. I don't have time for that. My mind doesn't work that way. I'm fairly pragmatic like my dad. And if I don't want to drink, I'm just going to make it that simple. What do you think it was that helped you get to that realization of, you know, from going from that talk that y'all had to yeah. that day where you just woke up and were like, what am I doing? What, what do you think was that like aha moment for you? It's a great question. I think some of it came down. I was letting down Seth. Yeah. And, and, um, it gets very, very hard. And I wanted to save my wife's life because she was drinking herself to death. And I, I figured if I quit, then she could see I could do it. And, uh, in June of last year, I buried her for alcoholism and, uh, she was 46 and we were married 21 years. So if I can't give up something as easy as alcohol after burying two people I loved, then what the heck am I doing, man? What am I doing? Yeah. What am I doing? I don't need to go to 12 step. I don't need to have a sponsor. I buried two people I love that both lost their lives to addiction and substance abuse. What, what, what other motivation do I need? And so it took me 14 months still to feel that way about Seth and what clicked. I, I just got tired, man. I just got tired. You know, if you've ever been overweight one day, you just say, I'm tired. I'm just, and I knew that if I were to die, my boys would lose a brother and a dad. Unfortunately, they lost their mom. But at the time I quit, I didn't know my wife was going to was going to pass away. Um, and, you know, my wife tried her best. I mean, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to be disparaging. Um, everybody fights their own fight. And some mountains are just they're just too tall. And through this addiction, mental health, substance abuse journey, I've been on trip. I've learned that you just you can't you can't get people to change their behavior. You can only change yours. And you hope that by changing yours, you can change theirs, you know, but it's such a helpless feeling to watch, you know, like my son, it was a six year slow motion train wreck. I could see the cliff and I could see that train just going slowly, slowly, slowly. My wife, it was, you know, um, what a four year, you know, she died. So about a four year train wreck, both very predictable outcomes, both very preventable, but so helpless. And anybody watching your show right now is going, yeah, I, I can relate to that. So I just tell people, you know what, focus on yourself right now, take care of yourself. You know, there's a reason why planes say, put the oxygen on your face first and not your kids next to you. What good are you if you're dead? You know? Yeah. So I think we try to save people, but we ought to be really focused on saving ourselves. Yeah. So much of what you just said right there resonates with me, especially the, you could see that downward spiral in -hmm. somebody else. I had that happen with my dad, with my sister, um, both of which, you know, at first, especially with my, my dad lived with a lot of blame as an Mm -hmm. 11 year old kid with that. Mm -hmm. And uh, my sister, it it was much of the same, but uh, you know, I looked at my mom and she buried a husband and she buried a daughter. And I've, I've asked her this same question. How do you still maintain that level of positivity that you mm-hmm. have day in and day out with the cards that have been dealt to you? You know, I don't think it's positivity. Um, I think some of these words like optimism and positivity at yeah. times can be, you know, just like 
raising awareness can kind of be an overused term. Um, I think it's just my not innate ability, but my learned ability to, to, to evolve, Mm -hmm. um, to understand I'm, I'm, I'm an evolving being. Um, I'm not even who I was yesterday and I won't be the same person. Yeah. Right. And when I get off the podcast with you, I'm going to be a better man. I'm going to learn something. I'm going to meet a new friend. And I think this, this thing I've had in my mind all, and I had this for a long time ago, or just that evolution is just like, you know, what am I doing to adapt? It's like, you know, we talk, we present grief as a survival barrier, you know, heck with that. You can thrive out of grief. You don't have to survive. I think that's a, that's a narrative that far too many people believe you. You don't have to do anything. Um, you know, I, I go back to one of the, one of the entry level issues with my son was when he was prescribed Adderall at 16 for attention deficit. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to teach parents that you don't have to accept that diagnosis from a doctor, right? You don't have to, I have attention deficit. And my dad always told me it was a superpower. And I ended up thinking, I felt sorry for the kids that weren't, you know, hyper and intense and couldn't pay attention and got poor grades. Cause I never made honor roll. I, I couldn't memorize worth crap. The standardized way that education is, was not good for someone like me. It doesn't appeal to tactile kinesthetic learners. Yeah. I just, I I'm like a real life hands-on type learner. I just couldn't, I couldn't picture charts and graphs and, you know, questions that were asked like word questions. I couldn't, I just couldn't put that in my mind. I knew I wasn't an idiot. I knew I wasn't real smart. Ended up starting an investment company did very well. You know, now we're building this living undeterred brand kind of with the same idea as I build up my investment company, kind of an entrepreneurial vision. But, you know, again, I just, I love the word evolution, but not from the standpoint, a lot of people think about it. I'm talking about evolution of self. Yep. And that's a chapter in my book, uh, along with the two roads was a chapter I called evolution of self about that, that, that transition I made from a grieving parent stuck as a grieving parent versus somebody that's actually in, in thriving mode that I can honestly tell you at 56, I'm at the best place I've ever been in my life. Wow. I lost 40 pounds drinking. I don't smoke. Uh, I eat healthy. I exercise. I meditate. I read. I, everything I've done has been adding value to my life. And every time I cut something negative, well, coincidentally, that adds more value. So by just getting rid of negative things, you don't really have to go out and find positive things. It's just kind of by accident. Um, you know, you take a negative away, and you're you're gonna go you're gonna go to the surface. Yeah. You know, negative relationships hold you down like weights, and mm-hmm. so. And not just negative relationships. I don't watch the news. I don't get into politics. I don't get into any of that stuff. You know, me both. Right. And I think, I think Nathan even told me he's the same way. It's like, and I, and I think a lot of people like us that are kind of wired this way, we don't really have the time to sit around and just watch negative, even if it's true. Right. Nobody else's negativity is going to project onto me. Right. If I have negativity, it's, it's self-induced. It's, it's Mm -hmm. something I've, I have a reason for, but I can't watch something or listen to something or uh, even grab my phone and read something and let it negatively impact me. I, I don't have enough room in my carry on for that. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. It's like, I just don't have, you know, again, being hyper and intense. It's like, I don't have the time to be negative. Yeah. I get bored, but I get bored of good things too. That's kind of the dynamic of attention deficit is that you're always chasing another high in a way. 
Yeah. But I also get, I get bored on the flip side. I don't sit still. Well, I can't sit on the couch and watch two hours of TV. I just feel like I need to be running on my elliptical and watching TV. You know, Yeah. I just, <laughs> I don't know if it's an OCD issue I have or what, but it's not been a negative thing in my life. It's not, I have to manage it. Yeah. You know, I, I, I work with a lot of um, people who come to the schoolhouse and their whole life, they've been told you have ADHD. Yeah. Uh, you were the problem child in grade school because it really just appeals to the visual auditory right. learners. And if you are a hands-on tactile and need to see things, it's head outside in the hallway, head to the principal's office. Yeah. They've been told that their whole life. So they right. get there and they're like, I've been told this is bad. I'm like, that's a gift. It is a gift to have that. It's a, it's a legit learning style. It's a good thing to have. And that's why you don't have to accept a, a label someone puts in you. So no. in my, my staff, so my people that are in the Living Undeterred project with me, we don't use disorder for attention deficit. Mm-hmm. We just call it attention deficit. Yeah. Because who in the hell is going to tell me it's a disorder? It's true. I, I, how is it a disorder? Usually how it's how a is school this? counselor or somebody who, who yeah, labels it? You know what? Diagnosis is for insurance companies. Yeah. I had someone tell me that. These labels that we come up with, they're for insurance company claims. If it wasn't for insurance companies, we wouldn't have attention deficit disorder as a label. Yeah. We have to have it because you got to fill out a form saying, what's the symptom? What's the issue? Attention deficit disorder. Oh, I can prescribe X, you know? It's just this game you play with insurance companies. So I'm just trying to tell parents, you know what? And plus get a second opinion, you know? Maybe some other doctors a little more holistic. Maybe some other doctors not, you know, taking money from pharma or something like that. Who knows? I'm not criticizing doctors because my dad's one, but the reality is that's what got the opioid issue in the first place in trouble was pharma and doctors in bed together. Mm-hmm. And I have to think that there's still some of that going on. But I think at the end of the day, you have a right as a parent to say, I'm not giving little Johnny Adderall. Yeah. We're going to try, we're going to try plan B. Mm-hmm you know, plan C, but Adderall is the last thing I'm going to give my child. Now, somebody watching this can say, Jeff, you shouldn't be giving. I'm not. I already said, talk to your physician, take the advice from your your physician. If you don't like it, get a second opinion, get a third opinion, but you certainly don't have to settle at your son has attention deficit and stop right there. Like I did. See, I never, I never went any further than my doctor giving Adderall to Seth. And I said, okay. And I gave it to Seth. So I feel like I let Seth down, you know, and, and the people say, no, Jeff, don't do that. That's, that's guilt. And, you know, you know, okay, fine, whatever. But that's how my brain works. And I do feel like I let him down. So, you know what? I'm fixing the problem. I can't resurrect him, but I, I certainly can do what we're doing with our living on a third project going forward, you know, and that's the difference between holding on to grief negatively or using grief as an inspiration. Yeah. You know, grief by itself is irrelevant. It, it's to, how do you own it? You know, do you own it negatively? Like, unfortunately my wife did, or can you, can you somehow use grief and own it positively? So grief itself has no emotional qualities. It has no really, it has no personality. It's just a freaking word. Yeah. That's, that's very true. You know, and all these things are depression doesn't exist either. It's a word, mm-hmm. you know? And, you know, we, we get into semantics so much. And I know one time in a podcast, I said, I didn't believe in depression and man, I had all these people. Well, Jeff, you know, you shouldn't say stupid things like that. Well, how's that stupid? How's that stupid? I don't believe in, I do believe, I do believe, I believe in very depressive moments. I believe you can have depressive, you know, relationships. 
But I think depression is again another term that was kind of you know invented for insurance companies. It's a moment. Yeah. Yeah, it's a moment. And you can I've had, I guess by definition, I'm probably manic depressive, bipolar, schizophrenic. You know, if you, if you went through and looked at all the things that my brain does to myself each day, I just deny all that and say, I just am Jeff Johnston. I'm a dad from Iowa. I've had some things happen to me. Yeah. I've had suicidal ideation, you know. But I think at 56 years old, right now in the moment, I think I'm doing pretty good for me. Yeah. You know, can I do better? Oh, geez, man. Absolutely. I, I read, I, I interview people. I'm meeting new people like you. I, I want to get better. I don't want to settle at 56, you know? Well, you, you aren't settling. Let's, let's talk about some of these incredible things you're doing first. You've mentioned it a couple of times. Talk to us about your book. Yeah, I wrote the book uh, two years after Seth died. Just, I felt really compelled trip that Seth wasn't here to continue his legacy. There's lots of really good things about Seth and people only remember the fact how he died and in what manner. And the last six of years of years of his life was very traumatic. And most people has what's have what's called recency bias, where we have an inclination or a bias to just remember the things that happened late. We don't remember the kid when he was in fifth grade, you know, and plus my son's daughter was born three weeks after he died. So Seth had a, as a, as a baby, five years old, a baby, my granddaughter's five. Her name's Brighton. I'm picking her up tomorrow. She's, she's beautiful. She's an, she's just, um, I don't know. She's so precious. And I see him every time I see her and, you know, the rumor has it that he wasn't convinced it was his child because they had broken up and got back together and then she got pregnant. And, um, I'm fairly certain he died not knowing hundred percent that the, his girlfriend that was pregnant was his child, but we did get the DNA test back and it's, it's certainly Seth's baby, but I kind of wonder sometimes if Seth would have known, you know, if that would have made a difference, but you know, when you're in hell like that in, in the drug world, nothing stops you. That's how powerful yeah. it is. You know, a picture of your child isn't going to stop you from doing drugs. So I have a five-year-old, she's beautiful, but I wrote the book. If you look at the opening sentence, it's, it's, I say for, for Brighton. And that's the only time I mentioned Brighton in the whole book. Uh, I just didn't feel comfortable doing that, but now she's five and, but yeah, I wrote the book for her. So when she gets older, when, when kids ask questions about their parents that, that died, yeah, that she's got a really good accounting of not just what everyone's going to tell her is all the good things about Seth, but she's going to want to know about her dad. She's going to want that. She's going to want the freaking truth. Mm-hmm. And the book I wrote is the truth. And it, I know some relatives on some sides of the family weren't overly thrilled with with some of that stuff. But then again, I don't believe in keeping Santa Claus, Santa Claus forever either. Sometimes yeah. you tell kids the truth, you know, let them figure it out on their own. What's so the name I was of very, book? it's called, this one's for you, an inspirational journey through addiction, death, and meaning. And I don't have a copy laying around, but yeah, it's called, this one's for you, an inspirational journey through addiction, death, and meaning. So it was really important trip that I wrote the book. And when people put it down, they wanted to go start a nonprofit. They wanted to go run a marathon, raise money for substance abuse. And they wanted to go hug their kids and say, I love you, you know, and, and that's how I wanted to write the book. Yeah. Uh, but I had to get through the abyss early. You know, I have to, I have to get into the context, you know, so people can see the lens I view life from. Right. Um, and yeah, I, I am a grieving dad. I'm a grieving husband, but I don't own grief the same way as a lot of people do. 
Right. It's, 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 that's an opportunity for me. Death, death's the same way. I have a very odd relationship with death. Um, I was talking to, to, um, to Nate about this too, is that, you know, I'm agnostic, which surprises people. Um, so I'm not religious, but I'm, I'm not an atheist. I just, I'm, I'm like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay with my whole life. I've been that way. Yeah. And so, and so I don't know where Seth is. I don't know if there's an afterlife. I, I don't know if there's a heaven or hell, but I do know I can, I, I do know I can create heaven right now today with the life I have right now. And that's what I do every day. So if there is a heaven and if there is all these things, and if I do a good job here, I'm going to go there anyway. Yeah. So I'm not worried about that. So again, as an agnostic, it's very difficult because the grieving parent world is full of people pulling at your heartstrings. I had, I had a couple of people actually wanted to know if I wanted to talk to my son, they were mediums pay money. And I'm like, if you were here, I'd, I'd, I'd punch you in the face. Are you kidding me? I have to pay you money so I can talk to my son. I talk to my son every day, right in my heart, every day. I don't need a medium telling me for 50 bucks that my son loves me. You I know, know that, that irritates Goldberg, me. Ghost. What, what's that? Whoopi Goldberg from ghost. Yeah. That type setting. Yeah. I talk to him every day, you know? I, and so, you know, I, I have my spiritual relationship with my own personal, mm-hmm. my personal spirituality. Um, and I've always been willing to say, I don't know. Yeah. But I, re- I really have too. When you see your granddaughter, you mentioned that. Yeah. That's that. I'm, yep. I look at my daughter in the eyes and I see my sister so much. Isn't that awesome? And she does little things just like her. Like I'm sure same on your end. And it's just like, and I write in my book. Yeah. yeah. I write in my book about, you know, the issue sometimes is that people think that if you don't, grieve or subscribe to some methodology or ideology for this, that, that you're not doing it correctly. And I write in my book that whether you are, let's say religious or you're agnostic, okay. It shouldn't preclude, preclude you from being just a really good human right now. So if you believe in the afterlife and you think you're going to go to heaven, you have to do so many things to please your God. Well, then you're going to try to be a good person, right? Right. That makes sense. But if you're not really sure what happens when you're gone, and you don't know, and you just think, well, this is all I got. This is the only life I have. I'm not going to come back as anybody else. I'm not going to go to heaven. Well, then I'm going to want to do my best I can right now because this is all I got. Yeah. So I look at both scenarios in my book and I present it. It doesn't really matter what your faith is. It matters what you believe. Yeah. You know. And again, people who are religious say, well, if you don't believe you're going to go to hell. Well, again, I'm just not comfortable in believing in something because I'm afraid if I don't, I'm going to go somewhere. Because then, because then I'm not really believing. I'm believing for the wrong reasons. And how you change human behaviors, you scare people or you inspire them. So if someone says if you don't believe in God, you're going to go to hell. You know, for me, I'm I'm probably the okay then. That, I'm not going. I'll believe in somebody because they inspire me, not because I'm afraid of them. And yes, that's how I roll, dude. And and you know, if there is a hell and I'm punished for it, then you know what? I'm going to still do the best I can here. And and if God says, Jeff you're the greatest human I know on the planet. You've raised millions of dollars to help people, but you didn't believe in me. So you're going to burn in hell. I, what, what do I do? <laughs> yeah. You know, what do I do? Yeah. I'm, by the time your episode releases, I'll be at 80 some, I think 82, 83 episodes. Uh, I, I don't think I've had a guest that I've just seen eye to eye on so many different things on so many deep levels as I do uh, with the things that you're saying here. You've mentioned your book. Um, and before mm-hmm. we wrap this episode up, talk to us about uh, the Living Undeterred podcast and then 
tell our listeners by the time this episode comes out, you're going to be on the road, but yeah. tell them what you're gearing up for in three days. So I do the living undeterred us tour in three days. So we start on the East, the West coast. We go for about three weeks. I bought a 34 foot Thor hurricane RV fully wrapped with living undeterred us tour. And I'll give you a picture of it so you can post it, oh, please. Um, yeah. And we're going to raise a million dollars and I'm going to go to every state in the United States and we're partnering with nonprofits. So everybody that's a partner in our thing is a nonprofit and we're giving back half of whatever I raise to each of the 50 state partnerships that, that work with us on this project. We have a documentary crew going with us and the whole purpose of this. And I think anybody watching this may, may think, wow, this guy's the biggest narcissist I know. This is not about me. This is a massive we story. Mm -hmm. um, matter of fact, I'm intentional in not talking about me as much as I possibly can. What I want to do is I want to pull into your town trip. I want to meet you. I want to hear the fact that, you know, you lost your child or you lost your spouse or you lost your dad or could be suicide. It could be alcohol, could be overdose, but you had something to maybe, maybe you were sexually abused of a child. Now you've come out with a nonprofit mm -hmm. to help people who have been sexually abused, whatever your, your why is. I want to take our RV and turn the spotlight on you for that day and give you the platform of the whole country, maybe the globe to share what you've been through and how you've turned this into something and you're living undeterred. And the more I do this, then the less it becomes about me. And I think if it, if you, if it becomes about me, then I'm going to, at the end of this, think I really wasted an opportunity to do a lot of good. You know, nobody wants to hear my story all the time. They want to talk about themselves. That's what people want to do. So I want to get out on the street, roll up my sleeves, talk to Americans, share stories, hug, cry, figure out how we can get 800 Americans a day are dying from overdose, suicide, and alcoholism combined. That's 800 trip. Think of the families affected by that. Yeah. You know, and that's just the ones that die. How many attempt suicide? How many, how many? you know, get drunk and go to the hospital and overdose and don't die. How many take drugs and don't die 10 times more. Yeah. And, but they still wreck families, even not dying. So we wonder why our country is so miserable right now and why we have, you know, some of the worst statistics across the board on mental health. And that's what this project is. It's the living undeterred us tour, a mental health initiative. And we're going to come to every state. So I'm not sure where you're located, but I was just going to ask you, where are you coming to in Alabama? Uh, actually we're working on mobile right now. Um, I have a potential stop in mobile, so yeah. we don't have a tour stop right now. So if you know someone in mobile that runs a nonprofit that works in the mental health space, we'd love to, to partner up with them. Um, but yeah, so to me, for my boys, they're going in the RV, the whole trip and my son's girlfriend and another friend of mine, it's going to be a great way to bond you know, like I said, the boys lost a, a mom and a brother. They're 18 and 20. This is a life-changing journey for us. I told the boys, I said, you guys are going to meet some people in here that are going to make my story look like, you know, a Tuesday. You know, there's going to be people who've done some heroic things. I haven't done anything heroic. There's going to be people that move the needle. And these are the people we want to meet. And my boys, when this thing's done, they're going to be they're going to go from boys to men pretty quick. That's what I was going to ask you. Are they doing anything to like chronicle? Like this is where my mindset was. This is where I was at the beginning. Yeah. This is kind of where I'm at. Yep. Now. We're going to document this with the, with the documentary guy. They're going to be running my, my YouTube, my Instagram, my TikTok, and all that. I'm going to let the kids kind of run the, the those social media platforms. Nice. And um, 
you know, it's, we're really excited. I'm slightly terrified um, because it is a really big commitment, but I just feel like, what else am I going to do at my, at my life? You know, I'm not interested in dating. I'm not on online dating. I don't drink. I don't go to bars. I don't want to write another book right now. Matter of fact, I'm going to write a book on the tour. It's called 50 stories in 50 States living Mm. undeterred. And I'm going to find the best stories in all 50 States of people who have had really horrible things happen to them, but they've turned them into unbelievable things. And I'm going to put that in a book. And if you, if you can read that book and be negative and be depressed, then there's no hope for you. That's, that sounds good. The book that, yeah, I'm excited. It's going to like, all this is changing my life, you know, 50 chapters. Yeah. Each chapter is going to be a story. I'm going to meet somebody that's just going to be great story, great story, great story, you know, terrible story to start but then they did something great. So people can look at their own life saying, wow, you know, you know, my mom died. We had a great relationship. I've never recovered, but this guy lost his only two sons or this, this lady lost a husband and a daughter in a drunk driving accident. And then she forgave the drunk driving guy that's in prison. Mm-hmm. That's a hero. Her name's Jennifer Tracy. She was on my podcast last week. Wow. You know, there's people out there like that, that have to be heard. Yeah. And that's, that's the essence of this, tour that we're doing is to, is to meet people like this and give them an opportunity to tell their story. And that's why I'm just so excited to be on your show to to talk about this thing and people that want to get involved, they can go to www.livingundeterred.org. You can donate right online. Let me tell you this trip at $7 at seven miles per gallon. My RV is expensive to drive around the country for 95 days. It's 300 bucks to fill prices. it up. It's 300 bucks to, yeah, I timed it really bad, didn't I? Except COVID <laughs> is kind of gone, which has scared me a year ago. I thought we'd have COVID, but yeah, I'm okay there. But yeah, I mean, if people want to help me, that's the first thing they we can help with is trying to raise money just to cover our fixed expenses. So right now, everything's come out of my pocket to do all this so far. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, we're very confident that the country is going to get behind us once we get on the road, once we can get that RV flying down the interstate. Um, I call it a mental health magnet. It's pretty sharp looking. And um, I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I don't know. I mean, coming from an agnostic, if there's such a thing as a religious experience for an agnostic, I'm probably having it. <laughs> yeah, de- definitely. Uh, you know, shoot me a photo of, the uh the mental health magnet that you have and uh yeah we'll definitely let our listeners know where they can go and donate and we'll push that out on the instagram page and um if you're listening go out go out support this is an awesome cause this is very unique i love what you're doing i love how you're also you know bringing your boys along and oh gosh that's gonna be so cool to go to i mean most people never leave their own state and right. y'all are going to check off every single one of them in the process. And then y'all are doing it for such a good cause too. So this is uh, really, really cool. But yeah, one more time, where can they find, where can they find your book? Where can they find out any and everything about you? It, all they have to do is go to livingundeterred.org, livingundeterred.org. And then there should be a uh, place for the Choices Network, which is my nonprofit There'll be information on the book. It'll say the book on there. The tour information is being updated daily. There's a video, like a three-minute video that we put together to kind of paint the backdrop of my story. We're actually doing a new one that we're using to uh, get into the state partnership relationships. And it's all about advocacy. It's about vulnerability. And the last thing I'll leave you with, Trip, is there is a gentleman by the name of Johan Harry or Hari. He's, um, on, and he's on the TED Talks and all everything, but he's a... 
I would say he's like an addiction expert. Yeah. And he said something that really impacted me. He said the opposite of addiction. So I'll say this again. He said the opposite of addiction is connectivity, Mm. connection, not sobriety, not being clean, not being sober. The opposite addiction is connectivity. And that's what your podcast is. That's what my podcast is. That's what the tour is about. That's what being vulnerable, you know, sharing your story when you're off the air and you're with your friends that you, t- you share your intimate stories with being vulnerable is part of this, this antithesis to the substance abuse and the mental health and the addiction. Yeah. And I'm learning a lot just five years ago. None of this was on my radar. And now this has become like a lifelong mission for me to find ways people can pivot and can improve their lives so we can get these numbers to start going in the opposite direction than what, where they currently are. Well, I can't thank you enough for connecting with me and for taking time to do this. Um, folks, if you're listening to the podcast, uh, his hair is looking really sharp and he's trying to convince <laughs> me he's got to go get a haircut today too. It's on the road. It looks really, I'm gonna be really on the good. road for three weeks. I got to get it trimmed. <laughs> it looks really good, especially for his age. And I'm sitting over here telling him things I don't have to worry about is that, <laughs> um, but sir, I, I can't thank you enough. I definitely want to keep in contact and, uh, follow that journey along with the rest of everybody else, uh, out there listening, listeners of your podcast and mine folks go support them, sir. Thank you so much for taking time to do this. Hey, I got one favor for you, man. Yeah. I want to reciprocate this and get you on my podcast to turn the lens and hear about your story. Let's do it. Let's do it. Bank I, it. The, the power of this and, and getting these messages out there to people, because you never know. And it's like, I tell people, they, people may listen to these, to my story and your story and say, well, I haven't lost anybody, but and not to sound like morbid or, or forecasting, mm-hmm. but it's like, you never know when something could happen. Like you said, mm-hmm. you were on top of the mountain and uh, but hearing people's stories of, you know, if something does occur and it's like, you know what, they had a positive outlook. They, they were optimistic. Like you said, there was some of those terms, but they, they actually continued doing stuff afterward mm-hmm. and, and helping others. Um, it gives other people hope as well. So I, well, I have a quote. That. I have a quote. I leave all my presentations with, and this is probably the best sentence anybody that you know your listeners your followers your watchers could ever say to themselves and you say this all day long okay. here's the here's the question do things happen to you or do things happen for you mm. so a two a two mindset's a victim right yeah you know the president biden or donald trump or or um you know the 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 whatever happens in my life happens to me woe is me pity you know sympathy or do things happen for me? And that's the victor mindset. Yeah. You know, how could someone said one time, uh, and then I'll close with this. Someone one time said, Jeff, how in the world could the death of your son and your wife be something that happened for you? And you know what my answer was? I said, how can it not be? How can it not be? Yeah. Cause the other roads, the bitter road, you and I have no time for that. Mm-mm. So I have to make this for me. I have to, I don't, I, there is no two road. <laughs> there's one road. And so that's, that's kind of my mindset is that I don't look at it as there's an option for me to take these deaths and, and be something happened to me. It's like, I framed my mind. I've convinced myself that these deaths happen for me. 
I like that. I'm stealing. I'm going to say yeah. that on other podcasts when I'm. I love it. It's great. Yeah, that's good stuff. Because I guarantee you, I stole it from somebody too. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't well, invent any of this. <laughs> well, I definitely appreciate you doing it. Folks, go check them out. Go support them. We will see you next week on another episode of the Shadows Podcast.